You are so good to us. Thank you for letting us open your word again tonight. We're grateful we can do that. If you have your Bibles or your phone, you read your Bible on. Tonight we're in John 15. Verse 18 is where we'll be starting. We'll finish the chapter and go on to the first four verses of John 16. So John 15, 18, all the way to 16, 4. And this section is in many ways defined by what came before it. Remember what we talked about last week. Jesus says, you have to have a connection to me. He is the vine, the true vine. And unlike Israel, who in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 5, was fruitless, he is a fruitful vine, and he will be fruitful. And we know he'll be fruitful because every branch in him that bears no fruit is cut off. And every branch that does bear fruit is pruned so that it might bear more fruit. Jesus reminds us, hey, I've given you a new commandment, and my commandment is this, that you are to love one another. Love one another in the same way that I loved you. Greater love has no one than this that you lay down your life for your friends. He called his disciples friends. Why? Because they knew his plans. Everything that was about to take place, he had told them. So they were no longer slaves, but his friends. Friends of the king, still required to be obedient, just like slaves. But they knew his plans, so they were his friends. They were his friends. Jesus reminds us, it was not that you chose me, I chose you. Out of the world, out of this world that we live in, the darkness of it, I chose you. And I chose you for a reason, that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that would remain. Fruit that would remain. And Jesus has said all this, and he ends, of course, with that great command once again. This I command you, that you love one another. Now, that's what we talked about last week. And in many ways, what Jesus said last week about loving one another in the church is the lead up to what he's about to say this week. Because he's about to make a a contrast, a distinction between how we as the church love one another and how the world feels about us as the church. Jesus is reminding us a big portion of why we're called to so deeply love each other as the church is because the world will hate us. We are called to love one another as Christians because the world is going to hate us. And Jesus gives the reason for why the world will hate us. Listen to this, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me first. Before it hated you. Jesus reminds us, Jesus was hated during his time on this earth. That the world did not approve of him. And what did it say, as we've read through the Gospel of John, about why the world did not like Jesus? 
What it says is that because Jesus exposed that their deeds were evil. And men loved the darkness rather than Jesus the light. That's what the Gospel of John has told us, right? That's a quote from John. Jesus exposed, exposed the world as who it is. The world is a hateful, dark place that does deep, sinister evil. And Jesus exposed that by coming because he was the light. And when he shed his light on this dark world, men fled from him because their deeds were evil and they loved the darkness rather than him, the light. Jesus says, the world's going to hate you too. But remember that it hated me first. He says, if you were of the world, if you, my disciples, were of the world, then the world would love you. The world loves its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. The world hates the disciples of Christ because he has brought them out of the world, out of the systems of the world. The systems of the world that oppress people and put them down and do evil to them. Jesus is saying, I brought you out of that. And there is nothing so despicable to the world as to see someone changed by Jesus and no longer wanting to be part of its evil. The world will hate you if you are a disciple of Jesus because it hated Jesus. And they will hate you because you've been chosen out of the world by Jesus. Jesus says, remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. Who are the slaves in that instance? The disciples. Who is the master? Of course, it is Jesus. What's Jesus saying? The same thing he said about the foot washing applies to the hatred. In the same way, a slave is not greater than a master, right? Jesus said, I am willing as the master to get down and wash your feet. I do this willingly. I abase myself to get down and wash your feet like a slave. And I do that as your master. So you have no excuse. No excuse as a slave, as a disciple of mine, to not do the same. Jesus says, if I, the master, am willing to do that, you too, as my servant, must be willing to do the same. Here he says the same, but in reverse. No servant is greater than his master. If they hated me, the master, you can expect that they will hate you too, as a servant. That's what Jesus is saying. But Jesus also notices, and he's willing to admit, and as we've seen through the Gospel of John, there is a divided response. A divided response in people to Jesus. It is overwhelmingly hatred. But we know that some did come to Jesus, didn't they? In fact, these disciples, Jesus said, I chose them out of the world. And there were others that Jesus had chosen as well. 
Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. He's saying the response to you as disciples will also be divided. Some will persecute you. In fact, I would say the majority will persecute you. But there will be some who will keep your word just as they kept mine. Jesus is making a point about our radical connection with him. We are radically connected to Jesus in all that we say and do. If Jesus was hated, they're going to hate you. And they did hate Jesus, and they will hate us. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. What is Jesus about to face? He's about to be beat and whipped and arrested and put on a false trial and then murdered on a Roman cross. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. Jesus is about to face the persecution of all persecutions. Jesus says you can expect the world to treat you in like fashion, in a similar way. They persecute me, they will persecute you. But again, some of them have kept my word. And some of them will keep your word also. Some of them will be changed by your testimony. Some of them will be changed by you testifying to who I am. Some of them will be changed because they can see the goodness that is coming out of you, the grace of God that comes out of you when you are a Christian. And some will see that and be changed, and they will keep my word through you. This is a heavy message. It's a heavy thing to hear. And I think as Americans, we're somewhat um, inoculated to it, aren't we? We haven't faced persecution on a deep, systemic level the way most other people have. Now, certain segments of our, of our population have, haven't they? It's hard to, to read that and think about America and not think about slavery and the oppression that African Americans lived under. The Africans, when they were, were brought here against their will, they lived under. And many of those Africans who are now today's African Americans became Christians. They did have an explicit understanding of persecution, of persecution for their faith and, of course, for their skin color. And if we look at today, many people around the world, Christians in Syria, Christians in China, Christians all over the world are being persecuted. But on the whole, especially today as Christians in America, we have not faced a deep level of persecution that we could ever attribute to say it looks like Jesus' persecution. And who knows? That day may come. That day could come. And, and unlike the comfort we've lived in, we would have to accept it willingly as disciples of Jesus. Because we know, we know that regardless of our system of government, regardless of anything else, we are called to follow Jesus, even to the point of death. Jesus did it. So we're called to do the same.
regardless of what the, the life situation or the government or anything may be in your country. You could be living somewhere else in the world and listening to this on a podcast or something, and you would the same expectation is for everyone. We are submissive to Jesus. We follow him regardless of our life situation, regardless of being oppressed or having freedom or any of those things. We are called to follow after Jesus. It's not changed. It's not changed because you live under oppression and it's not changed because you live in freedom. We're called to follow after him. So we've got to remember that. We've got to remember that we need... We need to follow after him, no matter what situation may come for Christians in this country, even though it has been so good for us for so long. Go back to what Jesus is saying. They persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But remember all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Because they do not know the one who sent me. All the things that the world is going to do to Christians, whether it's keep their word or persecute you or hate you, they're doing because of the name of Jesus and the name that you bear as a Christian. That is why they do it. When they hate you and persecute you, they don't necessarily even hate you that much. It's that they hate your Lord. They're doing it for the sake in the name of Jesus that they might persecute you. And they do it because they don't know God. They do not know the Father, the one who sent Jesus. And in particular, that's encapsulated in the Jewish authorities, isn't it? That's specifically what Jesus is referring to here. Right? The ones who should know my Father, the ones who should know who sent me, in the most immediate context, those are the people who are going to do this to the disciples, aren't they? The people who will do this to the disciples are the Jewish authorities who, sh who claim and should know Jesus' Father. He says, no, they, they don't know the one who sent me. And they will hate you and persecute you because you bear the name of Jesus. If I had not come and spoken to them, again, he's talking to the, about the Jewish leaders, isn't he? If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. <coughs> excuse me. They have no excuse. They could have claimed ignorance, couldn't they? They could have claimed they didn't know any better, but Jesus came and he told them, I am the way to the Father. I am the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. He said all these things. And they did not believe him, and so they cannot claim ignorance anymore because he came and told them who he was, and they did not believe. They have no excuse left for their sinfulness and their hard-heartedness. The one who hates me hates my Father also. Jesus never backs away from his radical unity with the Father, does he? 
He says, whatever you think about me, you think about the Father. Whatever you think about the Father is shown by what you think about me. If they hate me, and the world does hate me, then they hate my Father. There is no way to claim you, you love God and hate Jesus. Those are inconsistent claims. The one who hates me hates my Father. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sin. Jesus says it again. But now they have both seen and hated me and my Father as well. Jesus said, I came and told them. I came and told them the truth. So there's no excuse for them to claim they don't know the truth anymore. And he says, I came and I did the works of God. I did miracles. I changed lives. I did healings. I opened the eyes of the man born blind. I raised someone back to life. Still they hated me and my father. And they have seen him and hated him in me. So they have no excuse for their sin. Now he's talking about the world, but the world is epitomized by the Jewish leaders, isn't it? That's what Jesus is specifically referring to. But they are just part of the system of what makes up the world. They show the response of the world to Jesus, yes. But the world is a lot, lot larger than just the Jewish leaders. And this is the world's response to Jesus. But they have done this. They have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. There's actually several psalms that say that verse that he's quoting from. Um, that, that line comes up several times in different psalms. But the one that most scholars tend to turn to is Psalm 69. Psalm 69. The point is, the point is, like David in the Psalms, David is the writer of, of that Psalm. David says, there are enemies all around me. There are enemies that have surrounded me, and they hated me without reason. And Jesus says, just like David, just like David, the new David, right? Jesus is the son of David. The same way they treated David, they treat me. They hated me without a cause. There was no reason for them to hate me. And they did. They had nothing but contempt for Jesus even though he was the one that they had been waiting for all this time. Jesus says, when the helper comes, when the advocate comes, remember we talked about that two weeks ago, the advocate, when he comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also 
because you have been with me from the beginning. Now we'll get more into this testimony piece later because when we get to 16, he's going to bring up the Holy Spirit again and what the Holy Spirit's role is in relation to the world. And he'll bring that up, but I, I'm going to mention it now knowing we'll talk about it next week. But I'll mention it now. With the Helper coming, the Advocate coming, he's going to testify. And here's what's interesting. We always think of testimony as we, we've really related it to the Christian worldview, the Christian understanding. So when we think of testimony, we think of someone just saying what Jesus did for them, right? That's what we stand up and think. But I told you when we first talked about that image of the advocate, it's a judicial image. It's a forensic image, meaning it has to do with the court of law. So when we bring up the word witness and testify, it has judicial meaning. This helper who's coming is, is testifying. He's testifying. So he's both telling us as Christians who Jesus is. That is true. He's going to tell us about Jesus. He's going to remind us about who Jesus was. He's going to bring all of that testimony all of that witnessing to our minds and to our lives. But also, also, he testifies against the world. He testifies against the world. And in the context of what we're reading, that's clearly what Jesus is talking about. The Spirit is going to come and testify to the world. What is he going to testify? That they were wrong about Jesus. That is what he's coming to testify. He will do the same work as Jesus. Just like Jesus testified that their deeds were evil, the Spirit will do the same. And the Spirit will remind them that they were wrong about Jesus. That Jesus is who he claimed he was. And they were wrong. And we are called like the Spirit who does testimony of His own, we are also called alongside to testify also. Now specifically in this verse, He's talking to these disciples. He says it explicitly. Because you were with Me from the beginning. From the beginning of My ministry, you, My chosen disciples, have walked with Me. And you're going to testify to the world. And they did. They did. It became the New Testament. It became the apostolic message that they preached to the whole world of Rome in those days. That became their testimony. But also, also that verse speaks a word to us today. That we too, after 2,020 years, just like Jesus did, just like his first disciples did, just like the Spirit who was working then and is still working today, testifying, we too are called to testify. And that means what we traditionally think of, getting up and sharing about who Jesus is to us, testimony about who Jesus is, and it also means testifying that the world is wrong in its assertions about Jesus. That the world is wrong in its assertions and understanding of Jesus, and that the world's deeds are evil. We're called into that work alongside the Holy Spirit. Jesus is calling us into that work. We'll talk about that more next week. 
when Jesus says the Spirit will come to convict the world. It's what he says the Spirit comes to do. Chapter 16, verse 1. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. Jesus wants us to know ahead of time. He wants his disciples to know ahead of time. Don't be surprised by this, right? What if Jesus had gone away and never said this to anyone? And his disciples, all of a sudden, the world hates them. The world wants nothing to do with them. And they're like, maybe we were wrong. Maybe we shouldn't have put all our faith in this guy. He said that like he's changing the world and everything's going to be different, but like everyone hates us. Why does everyone want nothing to do with us? Why are we outcasts? Why are we minority, you know, oppressed populations? Maybe we were wrong. Jesus says, no, I'm telling you ahead of time to keep you from stumbling. Don't back away from me. Don't stumble. I'm telling you it's going to happen. Then he says this. Remember, this is Jesus as a Jew speaking to his fellow Jews who have believed in him about how the rest of the Jewish nation will treat them. This is an inter, both national and interreligious dispute. Jesus says, they will make you outcasts from the synagogue. He's saying they're going to kick you out of the Jewish community. Everything you've known, everything you've believed, everything you've stood for as a Jew, they're going to they're going to take strip it away from you. They're going to take it from you. Every piece of community, every piece of family you know will want nothing to do with you. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. Doesn't that remind us of John 9 and the blind man? It's exactly what they did to him, isn't it? We'll make you outcasts from the synagogue. But worse than that, an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that they are offering a service to God. It's not enough for them to outcast you. It's not enough for them to kick you out of the community. No. When it comes time to spill your blood, they'll think they're worshiping when they do it. And again, this is specific to these Jews. These Jews who have chosen Jesus, who believed in him as their Messiah about how the rest of the Jewish nation would treat them. That's specifically what Jesus is talking about. The Jews will make you outcasts, and they're going to think they're worshiping the Father by killing you. But, Jesus' word has spoke even further than that. Even further than that. Because it's not just that the Jewish people will do this to these Jewish disciples of Jesus. The rest of the world will do that to Christians generally too. And not only that, not only that, 
the church herself will have a history of doing that to true Christians. And we have to address it. We can't hide from our past. I'm not someone who's going to blow up the church's sins as if they're comparable to the world. They're not. The things that the church have done in history, there have been heinous things that the church has done in the name of God. And they are still incomparable to what the world has done for evil. Incomparable. But we must own up to our own failures as well and recognize them as sins. There has been ours. Remember, Jesus is saying all of this stuff as eschatology. He's saying it as the last day that is coming. And I told you from the beginning of this section, the beginning of the Upper Room Discourse, that what he's saying is instruction to his last disciples before he goes, but it's also instructions that apply out until his return again. These, these are statements that the Spirit's still here. The Spirit's still doing these works that Jesus talks about. There are still disciples of Jesus on the earth hearing these words for themselves today. What Jesus is saying has a long reach as he speaks these final words about what the last days will be like. And those last days started when he came. When he came. So, like I said, even the church has made outcasts from their churches. And they've thought they've committed worship. They're doing worship while killing Christians. And that's true in a historical way. That's true when Constantinople asked the Pope to send people to free them. And of course, the, what did the, the Pope's forces do? They came to Constantinople and they killed and raped everyone. Their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And that was the event that sparked the great schism of the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Western Roman Church. It was true when Protestants came into being through Martin Luther and then Catholic Church specifically went out of its way to kill Protestants throughout Europe. And there was a long period of war, primarily based on the fact of whether these nations or whether these cities or areas were Catholic or Protestant. And Catholics slaughtered Protestants. And the Protestants were not innocent themselves, were they? They killed the Anabaptists when the Anabaptists came into being. In fact, they were so cruel, they used their own theology to murder them. See, the Anabaptists believed that not to be baptized as children, but that a believer should be baptized. So when someone came to belief, they should be baptized. And so the Protestants, the Lutherans, and the, the others of that era, what did they do? They drowned them. Let's see how the Lord uses your baptism. And they would drown the Anabaptists. The church does have a history of doing this to other Christians. And even today, maybe not in the same ways, though some places I would say it is the same. Even today, the church can do this to its own. As uh, most of you in this room know, I have my own church hurts, my own church scars. 
just this week alone. Talked to two different men who both have deep church hurts, deep spiritual abuse. The church has got to do better. When we are on the side of putting out from the synagogue, when we are on the side of offering worship by killing other Christians spiritually or physically or anything, we are in the wrong. We are in the wrong. I'm not saying there's not a legitimate time to have people leave church, to, to tell them they must leave. Of course there is. We know the process of Matthew 18. We know the process of church discipline. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to hold each other accountable and to work towards greater righteousness. But man, are, are we called to operate that way in grace and kindness and goodness toward one another, believing in each other and hoping for each other's repentance? That is not the way that church discipline is done most times these days. So church discipline is a good thing. I don't deny that. But all too often we've been quick to push people out of the synagogue. And I, I've gone to seminary. And I've shared my story. And I've heard the story of countless, countless young men and women who are in seminary. Seminary! They're leading the church. Who have been hurt by it. Who have their own scars from it. Many who don't even recognize their own abuse at the hands of leaders that they've been under. That is why, that is why the church has to do better. We cannot continue to eat our own. We cannot continue to shoot our own wounded. We cannot aspire to anything other than hoping that those people would come back and be a part of the church. Because many of them, many of them who have been hurt by the church never want to do anything with the church ever again. By the grace of God, I'm still in the church. He brought me back. He brought me back. I would not have come back. He brought me back. And so that is why that is why Wellspring Church, this church that I have started, with the help of so many people I love and that I know, and with Jesus, who commended me to start it, has as a core ideal, has as an important point, that those who have been hurt by the church would be welcome here, would be safe here, would be a place that they feel loved and cared for and know that will call them to better life, We'll call them to live in a more righteous way, but at the same time, we'll have grace for their sins, kindness for their failures, and that ultimately, ultimately, that the church is the plan that God has. And for them to not want to be a part of it, those who have been hurt by the church, to not want to be a part of the church, is them to reject the very plan that God has. There is no other plan. The church is the plan. And my prayer is that God would lead those people who have been hurt by the church to Wellspring Church. That they would feel safe here, loved here, welcome, honored, forgiven. And that they would be here because the church is God's plan.
and I, I knew I would, I would have failed if I had this opportunity to talk about that and not bring it up. It is core to what this church is. It is core to who this church is going to be. And it is a, a greatly under-talked about sin of the church. The way we treat our own. But again, that's why Jesus tells us at the core of all of this, at the core of the church, at the core of the new covenant, is how we love one another. That the world will hate us. The world will hate us. The world will want to do harm to us. And even some well-meaning Christians will do the same. And we're called to love one another and lay our lives down for each other. Verse 3. These things, these things meaning putting you out of the synagogue and killing you, these things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. The people who operate like this, the people who act like this and think like this, they have not known God the Father or Jesus. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you, rem you may remember that I told you of them. Listen to the irony of that. Remember how the hour has been used up to this point. The hour, Jesus' hour, is what? His death. He's saying their hour is going to come when they put you to death. I told you so that you might know. And Jesus ends with this. Both a sadness and a comfort, he ends this section with. These things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. Jesus ends by telling them, they're probably all stricken. They're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Could you proclaim a more bleak future for us? Why didn't you tell us this was coming earlier? We might have bailed on you a while ago. Couldn't you have said something earlier on, like maybe the first year of ministry or something? Jesus said, no, why didn't I say these things to you at the beginning? Jesus says, I did not say this to you at the beginning because I was with you. Jesus wanted them to know that he was protecting them. Jesus didn't say these things to them at the beginning because he was with them, and therefore the hatred of the world was directed at him. Jesus' presence was protecting his disciples as he walked with them. These men did not face the pain and suffering that the world had to inflict on them. Because the Lord Jesus walked with them. Guiding them. Protecting them. Receiving the hate of the world so that they did not. Jesus said, since I protected you, I did not need to tell you of it. But now that I leave, I've got to let you know what is coming. 
Jesus comforts them by reminding that his presence was their protection. And he grieves them by saying, I must tell you now because I go away. And that's where we end tonight. And isn't that the paradox of Christianity? The grief and the comfort that the Lord brings to us. Comfort because he walks with us and never forsakes us. Like he says earlier in the Upper Room Discourse, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And yet we grieve. We grieve in a different way, for sure. Those disciples grieve because their Lord is about to leave them and they will feel just like orphans. That's why Jesus says, I won't leave you that way. And we grieve because we are not yet united with him again. And we long for that day when Jesus makes the world right in that world that has so hated us and maligned us and sought our destruction, will be brought to right. He will deal with evil. It will be cast out. Death will be done with. And he will be Lord over all the earth. No more will the foreign gods of the nations rule over the earth. No longer will Satan be the ruler of the world. But God himself, Jesus himself, will reign over it, all of it, casting evil aside and making it the place it was meant to be. And we grieve in this intermediate state, awaiting the glory of that day. Knowing, too, that one day our hour might come before Jesus returns, where we, too, have to lay down our life for the sake and the name of Jesus Christ. Let me bless you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person in this room. Thank you that even now, for us who have never seen you personally face to face, have seen you because of your spirit. We've seen you because the spirit you sent still today, 2,000 years later, testifies about who you are. And those who deeply and truly believe in you testify the same. Thank you that all of us in this room who believe in you were brought through your spirit and by the testimony of true Christians who introduced us to you. We are grateful that we have a lineage, that we have a history to look back to, knowing that is what drew us to Jesus. Starting with these young men who he spoke to in this room. We can look all the way back to that as our history. We're grateful for that, Jesus. And we also pray, also pray that we would leave a legacy that we would do the same. Bring many to your name, that they could trace their lineage to you through us. Help us to do that, Lord. 
Let us have another revelation of who you are. Let us have another revelation of loving one another as Christians. Let us remember that the world is evil and its deeds are evil, not to be tempted or lust after it, Lord. Help us to testify to them both against their deeds and tell them of who you are that they might believe. Remind us of these things this week. It's not hard to be reminded of how evil the world is. I know we'll be reminded of that this week. Let us be reminded of your goodness and the goodness of your people. And let us be agents of that goodness and light. In Jesus' name, by your Spirit's power, amen. Love you guys.